Greetings from sunny Southwest Florida, and welcome to this episode of The Sword and the Trowel. We're glad to have you with us today. The Sword and the Trowel is a ministry of Founders Ministries. You can find out all about Founders and our commitments to the local church, seeing churches renewed and recovered, and seeing the gospel recovered, churches renewed biblically by going to founders.org. And I'm delighted to have with me today Graham Gundon, who is assistant pastor here at Grace Baptist Church with us in Cape Coral. So, Graham, thank you very much for joining. Grateful in, to be here. Yeah, the sword and the trial today. We got some interesting things coming up, some exciting days ahead of us. We want to make you aware of them. The uh, Militant and Triumphant Conference, the Doctrine of the Church, is coming up in January, January 20th through 23rd here in Florida. And uh, that's going to be in Fort Myers. Uh, we're going to be addressing concerns that have been paramount to evangelicals over the last 18 months or so. And we got a wonderful lineup of speakers. We got Vody Balcom who'll be speaking. We also have Tom Buck, Conrad M. Bayway. We got James Coates, and we have Travis Allen, who's the pastor of Grace Church in Greeley, Colorado. So registrations open. They are filling up. I've been very encouraged to see the folks coming from really all over North America. Some even from uh, different countries as well. So I uh, encourage you to register. The registration rates will be going up sometime between now and January. So take advantage of that. You can go to founders.org, get more information for that. Also, the Institute of Public Theology has a course coming up right before the January conference, and that's by Vody Balkum. Vody's going to be teaching his cultural apologetics. Have you ever read any of his apologetic stuff? I have, or, yes. You know, yep. it's, it's going to be great. I was talking to him about the course a couple of weeks ago when he was here preaching uh, for us at Grace. He said it's going to be a mix of his exegetical apologetics and his Christian worldview and trying to think through where we are today. So uh, I'm going to try to sit in on as many of those lectures as I can, and that happens the uh, few days before the conference, I think it's the weekend before, or maybe the Thursday, Friday of the week before, and then the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, of the week of the Founders Conference. So and those go, are those are open for auditors and for people who are seeking credit. Yeah, that's right. The Institute of Public Theology uh, is a new venture, of Founders Ministries. We just launched a couple of months ago, and uh, you can audit classes. So if you don't want to enroll as a full time student of IOPT, you can go online and fill out the auditing requirements, and you can enroll in this course as an auditor. But if you want to enroll as a full-time student, it's an application process. We want to make sure a couple of things. One, that you're serious, you're willing to write and read and study hard, and that you are a churchman, that you're grounded in a local church. So you have to have good stellar recommendations from your church. But here's a, a wonderful thing I'm happy to announce that due to the generosity of a donor and uh, some of the ways that we've been trying to structure IOPT, if a church is willing to pay half of the tuition of a full-time student, I OPT will cover the other half. And so a student can actually go tuition free oh. to our courses as a full-time student if they have church buy-in. So again, if you want more information on that, go to instituteofpublictheology.org. Well, today we're delighted to have a special guest with us all the way from Washington, D.C., uh, David Clausen. Thank you so much for joining us, David. We're glad to have you on The Sword and the Trowel. Hey, it's a joy to be with you, Tom and Graham. Thanks for having me. I think uh, I first heard of David from you, Graham. You said yeah. that uh, y'all had met at a, as a student, at a seminary student, mm -hmm. and then uh, David, who works for the Family Research Council, was here at our conference earlier this year in January. And uh, David, you are the director for the Center of Worldview at FRC. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. We just launched in May uh, the Center uh, for Biblical Worldview. Uh, this is 
an issue that our president Tony Perkins and FRC has cared about for a long time, but given you know a lot of the unique challenges uh, that pastors and churches are facing uh, in these days, we thought it would be really important to start kind of a new. Uh, ministry and new outreach specifically to help th people think about all these issues we're dealing with through the lens of scripture. Yeah, well, that's great. So this is a brand new venture. And of course, man, I've been a big fan of Tony Perkins and Family Research Council for a long time. We've followed his work and benefited from his work, sat in on some of the uh, pastor calls that they've had and uh, distributed resources that they've made available to churches. So we're glad for uh, this new development at FRC and the fact that you are there. And you're working on a, a PhD in ethics. Is that right? At Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary? That's right. Lord willing, uh, I've completed the coursework, passed the comprehensive exams, and uh, once we get a dissertation topic, uh, get after that. So, Lord willing, maybe within the next year or so, I'll be a proud gra graduate of uh, your alma mater, Tom. Well, I hope that that's uh, true. That would be a credit to the school. So, one thing you might want to consider writing on is what you've been writing on, and the article that attracted <laughs> our attention when Graham and I were working with our other elders, we're trying to help some folks in our church that are facing vaccine mandates from their employers, the federal government and private employers as well. Uh, one of our members just lost a job because of this issue. And uh, we think that that's probably not going to be the last time that happens. And so you wrote an article uh, for the Family Research Council blog called How Should Christians Think About Biden's Vaccine Mandate? So uh, tell us about the genesis of the article and what you're trying to accomplish in it. Yeah, and appreciate the question, Tom. So right before we came on uh, with this podcast, I actually talked to some of our web admin people, and they informed me that this article that we're actually talking about is the number one viewed article uh, this year for FRC, mm. and it's, I think, number seven all time wow. uh, in the history of our website. So to me, that just shows you uh, this is a topic uh, that our constituency uh, and just Christians and churches around the country are thinking about. So that really the genesis of this article is we started getting a lot of calls. Uh, I think it was uh, it was September 9th uh, that President Biden announced mm -hmm. this uh, vaccine mandate. He had already announced a mandate for all federal employees. Uh, but then he came out and said that he was going to mandate uh, COVID-19 vaccine for every uh, business organization, every employer that has 100 or more employees. And so obviously that, uh, if you do the math, that, that covers about 100 million people in this country, so about a third of the population, which means uh, there are you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of uh, faithful Christians who are uh, already trying to wrestle through this, uh, now being kind of put under the gun uh, about whether or not to get this vaccine. Yeah. And Graham's been writing point for us uh, here at Grace and trying to do the research and come up with um, a letter that we can uh, honestly, conscientiously, helpfully put in mm -hmm. the hands of our members who have these concerns. So, Graham, tell us a little bit about what uh, you've been working through and try to get to this point, and then we'll just walk through this article as well. Yeah, well, one of the issues is that um, we've seen some in evangelicalism claim that there really is no religious exemption mm -hmm. issue mm -hmm. here, um, that it's not valid, there's no good reason to claim religious exemption, and, and really it's just kind of personal opinion, personal preference for whether you take the vaccine or not. 
Um, and so we wanted, wanted to address that, and we wanted to provide um, a good biblical theological foundation for why someone might have a, a religious um, exemption or, or have a problem with, with taking the vaccine. And, and so what we tried to do is uh, root it in our confession of faith. You know, um, according to our bylaws, the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession is our confession of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's the, the theological document which governs the way that we preach, the way that we teach, what we believe. Uh, and so since we were able to, since we have this document, we were able to take it and say, this is what we have published, what we believe, and the objections of our church members are coming off of, out of these beliefs that mm-hmm. they have that are published that anyone can see. And so this is a legitimate uh, religious, theological, and biblical concern. And so um, I did that. I also you know, tried to tie it in as much as I could with uh, the, the Baptist Confession. And there's some real biblical principles um, as well. Um, for instance, one question, one text that's, that's come out quite a bit in this conversation is Romans uh, 14.23. You know, whatever's not done in faith mm-hmm. is sin. And uh, people have legitimate concerns about the vaccine and um you know, it's the genesis of the vaccine using fetal cell lines to development, to develop it, to test it, even to manufacture, I think, one of the vaccines. Um, and, you know, if a, if a Christian thinks that that is sinful to even uh, take part in, in any way in, in the abortion industry, well, that, they, that's a legitimate concern. Yeah. yeah, and anybody that tries to coerce you to do that against conscience is really trying to coerce you to sin. And David, you talk about that in your article, but, but you have several other concerns too. And one of the things I found most helpful about your article, and we're going to link to this, uh, we've already passed it around, we're going to pass it around more, is the way you've broken down how Christians ought to think about this issue. And so there are legal concerns. Uh, you start off with that. What are some of the legal concerns that Christians in America, citizens of the United States, ought to factor into our thinking about a vaccine mandate. Because obviously, we're not saying that taking the vaccine is sin. It's inherently sinful. There are good reasons that people, Christians, ought to take the vaccine. And if they do that, that's fine. So we're not talking about it's wrong always to take the vaccine. But Christians should be thinking Christianly about it. And one of those ways is as citizens of a constitutional republic. You're absolutely right, Tom. I'm glad you, I think the way we're setting this up is really helpful because I'm not against vaccines. Uh, My parents are in a a higher risk uh, demographic. And so I encourage them to get the vaccine Mm -hmm. that brought them a a level of comfort. Uh, I think all of us though are against vaccine mandates. And so I I think there are legal concerns here. Um, You look at the, so, you know, and the next section of this article that we can talk about is kind of the role of government. Uh, But specifically the legal concern is, uh, there are a whole host of attorneys generals. I think it's 25 or 26 mm-hmm. attorneys generals around the country who are, are looking at what this uh, mandate is. And what was important to note, Tom, at this point, we're weeks. So uh, Joe Biden announced this mandate uh, that it was coming uh, on September the 9th. Uh, we're in the month of October now. We actually haven't seen a text hmm. yet. Uh, they, they said that this was going to be uh, passed out through the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which is under the Department of Labor. Um, again, that was coming, they said. We actually have not seen that order oh. come down yet. And so, honestly, at this point, that raises the question, you know, it seems the president might have, you know, put this, done this press conference and said this was coming without a ton of intention to follow through. But maybe this was all that was needed to kind of scare and coerce yeah. people into going along with the program. Yeah. Uh, but I think specifically to the constitutional question, where in the Constitution does it say that a U.S. president uh, can force 
uh, hundreds of millions of, or a hundred million Americans uh, to inject something into their body. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any statute, any law in the books that actually, or any even precedent. There's, there's one Supreme Court case from the early 1900s that's been cited. Uh, that's questionable. As I think as soon as we, if we ever do see an actual, the text of a mandate come down, uh, there's 25 attorneys generals who have promised to sue immediately wow. uh, because they think that this is a overstepping of the bounds of authority uh, given to the U.S. president by the Constitution. <laughs> it's almost like that old play that uh, Nancy Pelosi you know, pulled on us. You, you have to pass <laughs> the mandate before you know what's in the mandate, you know, <laughs> type of thing. And we do have a Constitution in this nation. And one of the things you yep. address uh, is the role of government and sphere sovereignty, uh, yep. taking a page out of Abraham Kuyper, which I think is really helpful for Christians to learn about at this stage. God has ordained all the authorities that we have to deal with in this world, but all of those authorities are delegated by God yes. himself. And so they all have lanes that they are to, to live in and to stay in. And whenever they start transgressing those lanes, well, Christians ought to be raising questions and saying, wait a minute, you know, God gave you the authority. He gave you the authority to do this, not what you now are claiming you have the right to do. No, and, and I think that's at the, as far as a Christian understanding of this, I think the conscience and religious objection is really important. But I think this is a moment uh, where it's really important for us to press into this. What is the role of government? And, you know, I think the first place to start is that government's a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, none of us uh, as believers are against government. Uh, Romans 13 one says the government is ordained by God. Government's God's idea. It's a good idea. First uh, Peter two thirteen through 14 says that we should be subject uh, to the governing authorities, um, whether it's the emperor or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil um, and to praise those who do good. So I think, you know, we need to realize government is something that is good, but like any authority, uh, the government has a limited authority. Now, all, I think all Christians would agree that um, whenever government tells us to sin, well, Acts 5 tells us we can't do that. We must obey God rather than man. But, you know, the real question comes down, and I think you're, you're just getting at it there, Tom. Is so, okay, maybe the government's not telling us to sin, but what if it's telling us to do something that seems kind of arbitrary? Uh, what, what if the government tells us that all of us have to wear, you know, pink hats on Thursday, mm -hmm. or the government tells us that we have to exercise three times a week? Well, at that point, I think rightfully, our, you know, most Christians would say, well, that, that seems a little weird. Well, it seems a little weird because what, the way we would describe that is that's government overstepping its jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a fair point to say when a government or any authority uh, you know, you're, you're a pastor of a church, Tom, uh, uh, Graham, you're on staff if, as pastors, you guys have a, a delegated authority as leaders. Uh, but if you were to tell a church member that they need to come over and wash your car every other week or bring you dinner, well, that, I think that would be transgressing the authority that God's given you mm -hmm. same way with the government. Uh, if the government steps outside the bounds that it's been given, then I think it becomes illegitimate that we don't actually have to fall in line. And I think um, the way I'm understanding this vaccine mandate uh, where the government is telling us to do something that we, you know, is against our conscience, objecting something into our bodies, which Christians believe is the temple of the Lord. I think that's where they're overstepping a boundary. Mm -hmm. And therefore, uh, I don't think we need to go along. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting you use that that example of uh, wearing if if the government commands you to wear a pink hat um, or, and, or a beanie or yeah. <laughs> with, the, with the little <laughs> propeller on top. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, of course that seems ridiculous to us. That's so arbitrary. Um, but these commands will come forward and they'll, it'll always be argued as if they're not arbitrary. Yeah. And so, um, such as uh, vaccine mandates. And so we have to be able to see um, the arguments and, and get through the arguments and often get through the smoke screens that are put up to say, actually, no, this is very arbitrary. And, and you're, at, you're stepping outside of your lane. You're stepping outside of your jurisdiction into the jurisdiction of the church. You're just stepping into the jurisdiction of the family, or you're even stepping into the jurisdiction of the individual. And the individual is uh, really a God-given authority. Right. Um, and we need to be careful in our own society because we have, we have a tendency towards hyper-individualism here in America. Um, but we often transgress that authority and we, we, we cover the authority of the individual with the cover, with the authority of the state or the, the authority of the church. And it's inappropriate. You know, the Lord's given the state, the, the sword to exercise discipline is given. He's given the, the church, the keys of the kingdom to exercise discipline. He's given the family, the rod to exercise discipline. And he's given the individual, the conscience to exercise self-discipline over oneself. And so we need to not rob the individual of their conscience to be mm-hmm. able to exercise that self-discipline. Yeah, that's vitally important. I, I think it's helpful, uh, David Graham, the way you guys have framed this. And this is this is fundamental, and this is where as pastors, you know, we have to do a, a better job. We have to continually try to teach our people to think of these spheres of authority, remembering that all authority, Jesus said, belongs to him. It's been given to him in heaven and on earth. So every other authority is delegated from the one who has all authority. And what are those fears? You just outlined them. Okay, we know uh, certainly there's the individual. So people say, my body, my choice. Well, no, not really, because it's your body given by God, and you're Mm -hmm. obligated to God. Uh, Even those who don't know God, deny God, doesn't matter. Uh, They still are obligated to God. We've got to think like that. That would help us on the whole sexual revolution if we could get Christians to think more clearly on that. And then you've got the family. God structured the family. He ordained the family. It's not whatever we decide it's to be. And we can't just uh, hook up with however many people we want to and say, uh, this is now our family. We're redefining. No, God's the one who defines the family. Mm -hmm. Church is established by God. And so there's authority in the church and state is established by God. And then there's going to be other things as well. You know, you've got employer, employee relationships. Uh, You might have other kind of civil organizations. schools. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that. But, but these are the basics. These are the fundamentals. And if we recognize that all of the authority in those spheres has been given by God, delegated by God for specific purposes, then if elders begin to say, hey, you got to come wash my car, as David, you just said, we said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, you have authority and I am to be submissive to your authority as a church member, but not to do that. Mm. And I, I think the analogies like that can be helpful to people to begin to apply it to government because we live in such a statist day where the state is God, basically. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. to question that sounds almost irreligious, you know, yeah. blasphemous to some. No, it, it does. And I think that's why uh, as people with a high view of Scripture, we have to constantly go back to the actual text of Scripture. That, that seems so obvious, but mm-hmm. it seems such a foreign concept. And that's why you're right, Tom. It's so helpful to see uh, all authority is a derivative authority. It mm-hmm. is a delegated authority. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the state, Yes, the state has real authority. Uh, a lot of power is given to the state, 
But what is that to, to what end? It's to uh, promote good and to punish evil right. doers. Mm-hmm. And so w- as long as the state, uh, so to speak, stays in its lane, it is functioning legitimate. And I think the general posture of Christians, but all citizens should be to comply, should mm-hmm. be to obey. A government is for our good. But again, when it steps outside that lane, that's where we have a problem. Now, I think it's also, we mentioned all these fears um, and I think I mentioned this in the article when I'm talking about uh, Abraham Kuyper, the, the Dutch theologian uh, who served as a prime minister as well. You know, the, the state is empowered with limited oversight responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, the state does have that. So when there's, uh, you know, disagreements between, uh, you know, individuals or other institutions, the state does have a limited oversight responsibility. And that's how it promotes good and restrains evil. But something like a vaccine mandate, which is getting into the personal health care decisions of individuals. Uh, and again, the, the government is, I think, one of the things, the way it promotes good and or restrains evil is it protects life. Uh, the, the government, there's laws on the books against murder and things like that. But I think what's pretty clear in this whole COVID thing is, although COVID's real, it's mm-hmm. I have had friends who've gotten it and have been sick and it's uh, not been fun at all. Uh, but. COVID-19 is not the bubonic plague. And uh, I think we need to, I think John MacArthur, uh, what they did out at Grace Community Church, he was, he said, this is bad, but it's also not the worst health crisis we've ever seen ever. And unfortunately, during this whole pandemic, we've seen politicians, usually blue state governors and mayors, take advantage of this uh, pandemic to assume to themselves power uh, that was never theirs to have. Mm-hmm. And what's, I think, let me just add this as well. What we saw with this vaccine mandate actually with President Biden uh, actually goes well beyond anything that a Governor Newsom or any of these blue state, uh, blue city mayors did. Uh, he really kind of ratcheted up even more so. Yeah, you know, it's uh, fascinating to, to hear what the Bible says and people quote the Bible, that government's role is to promote good, punish evil. And then they just almost assume that the government gets to define what's mm-hmm. good and what's evil. Yeah. But God's the one who tells us what's good and what's evil. And when the government starts saying that we're doing this for your good mm-hmm. and it's not good according to the word of God, Christians again ought to raise our hands and say, can we just have a conversation about this? Yeah. You know, it says who? Yeah, and there has to be real humility because sometimes the the lines can be gray, and we don't know exactly. We don't have all the information. We haven't been able to do all the research, and so sometimes it's appropriate to say, "I don't really know exactly where this falls in the line." You know, is this um, legitimate a legitimate use of authority? Is it not? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's okay to be humble and say, mm-hmm. "I don't really know," so I'm just going to go ahead and submit to it anyway, um, and then continue to do the research. Um, you know, the the 1689 confession and in chapter 24, paragraph three says that, um, subjection in all things lawful commanded by them, that is the civil magistrate ought to be yielded by us to them in the Lord. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, as long as the laws coming down from the state are in accordance with the eternal moral law of God, whether that's revealed in scripture or whether you see that in, in his revelation in, in nature, um, we should 
submit to them because submitting to those those lawful commands is submitting to God's law. Um, but what you said is exactly, it's, it's that statism. It's not as though uh, God is above all and his law is coming down to us and we are to act in accordance with it. Rather, state the state is above all mm-hmm. and their law is coming down to all these other spheres and we're, all the other spheres are to act in accordance with that state law. Yeah, yeah exactly. And David, I want to uh, drill down a little bit more on this because, again, as Graham and I have talked about this and we talked about it with our fellow elders, uh, it it seems to be at bottom another massive problem that's being exposed is something we've been talking about with Founders Ministries for decades, and that is the need for a more robust confessional understanding of the Christian faith, that uh, the Christian religion, the Christian faith is not just something you do on Sundays, not just something that you do in your family or with your church, but it is a world and life view, as you very well know in your job and trying to help Christians to think about this. So here, for example, is an article uh, that was written by a husband and wife team, Matthew and Ashley Arbo. This is on the Ethics and Religious Liberty Liberty Commission's website about uh, how Christians should think about religious exemptions for vaccinations. And they make this this case. And I think they've got a point here, but but I want to kind of uh, push back on it a little bit. It says, in our experience as an ethicist and lawyer, the reasons appealed to by some evangelicals for refusing vaccinations are not, strictly speaking, religious, but personal, philosophical, or political. And I think certainly there's a point to be yeah, made there. Yeah. But they go on and say, this includes objections that invoke religious beliefs in general terms, but upon further scrutiny appeal to other factors. Some may, for example, express concerns about infertility or the lack of longitudinal studies or that their employer has simply violated their rights. But none of these reasons are overtly related to the individual's religious beliefs. And that's where I want to push back. It's like religious beliefs don't have anything to say about uh childbearing or or your employer status or the relationship that you have between employer and employee. And of course, we know the Bible does speak to these things. Are you finding that in your role there at FRC that uh, maybe the worldview of uh, many evangelicals is just just not as robust as it should be about what Christianity entails? That's exactly what we're finding, uh, Tom. It's... um, troubling. It's no surprise that the vast majority of our friends and neighbors in the culture don't have a biblical worldview. Uh, What's more troubling is when you look within the four walls of our churches and realize that about one in five, uh, we've done studies with George Barna on this, about one in five uh, of those who attend evangelical churches actually have what you could call a biblical worldview uh, when you measure for belief and practice. This isn't just that people self-identify with a worldview, but we actually measure it. And so so I think that the poor thinking uh, that we've seen specifically on the mandate issue is a reflection of a much deeper concern, which is the fact that we have a lot of churches filled with people uh, who are not thinking about all of life through the lens of Scripture. Mm. And and just real quick on the the article that you read, you know, I actually know Dr. Arbo took a class with him, uh, great guy, Mm -hmm. uh, hearing that quote, and I've read that article as well, no surprise, uh, he's been kind of a cheerleader for vaccines, it seems, since these came out. But the argument he's making, and him and his wife are making, uh, that I think they're basically saying there's no real religious liberty uh, objection that you can have to the vaccines. Don't want to put words in his mouth, but it right. seems pretty clear that that's where they're going. I think that ignores what I would call a whole category of conscience objections 
that are very closely tied to religious objections. And I'm with Dr. Arbor. I don't think that Christians uh, should claim a religious uh, objection if they don't actually have a sincerely held belief right. about something. Yeah. Uh, we should be very careful about re- using religious exemptions as a get out of jail free card to do something we don't want to do. Uh, but Romans uh, 14.23, Graham mentioned it earlier, says, uh, you know, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And I've talked to members of my own church uh, and friends I have in D.C. who have looked at the vaccine mandate. They've looked at the available research and they, they've said, I just have a strong conscience objection. I don't think this is morally appropriate, morally right for me. And so I, I just don't think it's right for other Christians who maybe don't share those views to look at that brother or that sister and say, well, I don't really care what you think. Uh, You need to go along with the program anyway. I don't think that's loving. I don't think that's showing love for neighbor. And I don't think that's honoring the conscience of a brother or sister who is made in God's image that feels very strongly about this. I think that the posture that we should have is to be as accommodating as possible. Mm. That's a great point. And and this is one that Graham has cited actually from our confession of faith. This is our church's confession, the 1689 Baptist confession of faith founders has uh, produced this in modern English. You can get this off of our founders website. If you don't have a copy, I encourage you to get a copy. It's an excellent way to study through scripture systematically. And our church has adopted this. And Graham, I want to ask you about what you put up uh, in, or you've put in the draft of the article you're working on. Mm. It, It, David, it ties exactly in with what you just said. This is from chapter 21, paragraph Mm -hmm. 2, on uh, the Christian liberty and liberty of conscience section of the confession. And this is what the confession says. God alone is Lord of the conscience, and he has left it free from human doctrines and commandments that are in any way contrary to his word or not contained in it. So what that means is my conscience, as Luther put it so eloquently, should be bound to the word of God alone. Mm. And we should stand there, take whatever consequences come. But the next sentence is crucial. So if our consciences are to be free from human doctrines, human commandments that are in any way contrary or not contained in the word of God. So believing such doctrines not contained in the word or obeying such commands out of conscience they're not contained in the mm. word is a betrayal of true liberty of conscience. So that's the individual crisis, mm. but then it goes on requiring implicit faith or absolute and blind obedience destroys liberty of conscience and reason as well. So Graham, what's this say to those evangelical leaders who are saying, well, love your neighbor, Romans 13, therefore you must get vaccinated. You must mm. comply with this vaccine mandate. I mean, how, that's contrary to what the confession is saying. here. Yeah. Yeah. And part, part of the issue is that, you know, the conscience can err, right? It can be wrong. We can, our, our conscience, consciences can lead us astray if we're not constantly feeding them on a, on a healthy diet of the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can claim things according to your conscience that are not necessarily true or biblical. Um, and so what the, the solution to that then is, well, you have to educate your, your own conscience. And if you're in a place of authority and someone's conscience is leading them to disobey your legitimate authority, uh, well, then you have to labor to educate their conscience as well. Uh, but that's part of the problem is that there really doesn't seem to be much of an education of the conscience mm. here, right? If you're an authority, there's no like, well, you have these concerns. Let me help you look, see these concerns and, and allay your fears. Um, rather, when people try to to look into issues more, especially concerning the vaccine. I mean, this this program on YouTube will definitely be flagged, right? Because we're <laughs> talking be now. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're talking about we're talking about this vaccine, yeah, right? And 
And so it's, it's difficult for people to get the information that they want, the inf- information they need to be able to educate their consciences. Yet we still have authorities saying it doesn't matter. Right. You, your conscience should be telling you to do what we're telling you to do. So yeah. you obey your conscience and obey us. Yeah. And that's what I, I, I just grieve when I see these evangelical leaders. I think Ed Stetzer did it a f- couple of weeks ago. Just get vaccinated Christians. Come on. You know I mean? Just, yeah. just do it. Like it's men. You're, you're going contrary. You're destroying liberty of yes. conscience and reason yes. according to our confession of faith. And so, again, it's one more reason to have a robust confessional Christianity. And I would encourage mm-hmm. pastors, as we've done for decades here, uh, lead your church to adopt a confession and to be genuinely confessional in your approach to understanding of discipleship within the Christian faith. And, uh, David, I mean, that's, that's kind of like a subtext that I read in your article. I mean, you don't come out and say it that starkly, but you are arguing that there are boundaries, there are principles, there's foundations that Christians need to have and then employ and stand upon as we think through this issue. What, what are what are a couple of the other things in the article that you point out? You mentioned like four or five areas of concern. So hit, hit those uh, last couple of, a couple of them, if you would. Yeah, uh, we've covered a lot, I think, of the most important things, but I do have a section in the article specifically on abortion. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we need to be clear about this because um, it's not, I think there might be some Christians out there who think, oh, goodness, if I'm getting the vaccine, am I getting aborted, you know, fetal cells injected into me? Well, no, you're not. Um, But it is true, um, and this is according to the Charlotte Lozier Institute, uh, a pro-life think tank here in Washington, D.C., that fetal cell lines were used uh, in the development and production of the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine, and fetal cell lines were used in the testing of the Moderna and Pfizer uh, COVID-19 vaccines, but not in the vaccines themselves. And so, again, it's true. Some of these same cell lines have been used to come up with just normal like like Tylenol and Excedrin. So if someone was going to be, you know, really consistent, there's a lot of things that they would not be partaking of. Uh, But there are some people, and I think it was right before we came on, uh, Graham mentioned a lady in your church who this has been one of the reasons she feels really strongly against it. And even if it's a remote complicity, uh, some people's consciences are telling them that they, they think this is wrong. And again, oh my goodness, we could have a whole podcast, you know, talking about the abortion issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Bible could not be more clear on the personhood of the unborn, uh, that all people born and unborn are made in God's image. And so for some people who are really uh, concerned and uh, aware of uh, the, the life issue, um, and they don't want to have any, even the slightest or remote connection, um, again, I don't think it's appropriate or my uh, it has is my prerogative uh, to kind of paper over their conscience on that. Um, and I think the, the last thing that I'll, I'll mention is you, you look at what, what President Biden is doing. It's just very interesting. It's uh, there's a lot of people, even non-Christians, who are kind of upset. Um, and I mentioned this at the end of the article, you know, Jen Psaki, his press secretary, as recently as uh, late this summer, uh, said when asked, uh, would the government ever mandate vaccines? And she said, no, we wouldn't do it. Um, that, I don't even think that's something we have the power to do. And then, you know, weeks later, the president does an about face on this. And I think there's a lot of people who are upset. Uh, there are a lot of people that are confused. And so I think Tom Graham and I will have in right now. We need to be doing more of this because I don't think it's helpful to bully or harass or cajole someone to do something uh, that they don't want to do. Let's have conversations about it because there's there's some concerns uh, that maybe are not legitimate concerns. Uh, There's others that are legitimate. 
And I think just having conversations uh, where we're, again, not looking to Dr. Fauci or, or looking at the CDC first and foremost, we're looking at God's word. Because as Christians, first and foremost, we need to filter everything through the lens of scripture, through these confessional statements. And I think as we do that, we're going to be on more firm ground to be faithful uh, and to be able to approach this as a Christian. Amen. Well said. And uh, David, tell us how people can follow you, get in touch with you, and uh, this document that you mentioned earlier, the FRC's put out that can be helpful to pastors. How can they access all that information? Yeah, we have, uh, so within the Center of Biblical Worldview, all of our resources, including the article that we've talked about, um, is all available at frc.org slash worldview. So again, that's frc.org slash worldview. And one of those resources is, is a sample exemption letter mm -hmm. uh, that if you uh, feel you know strongly about this, you, you don't think this is right, your conscience does raise an objection, you can print out this letter, uh, make sure that it, you, know, you can edit it uh, to where it truly reflects the, the sincerely held beliefs that you have. And then you could give that to your pastor to, to sign. Uh, you know, it was important, my, and our legal friends have told me this, Tom, uh, to get a religious or conscience objection, you actually don't need a letter. Uh, you just really just need to express that. Mm -hmm. But a letter can uh, go a long way in showing that you're going the extra step, that you're sincere in your objection. Uh, so just to try to help people, uh, we have provided a model letter, uh, which again is available at frc.org slash worldview. Yeah, very good, David. Thank you so much for that. And again, this just is a reminder that everything we've been trying to do at Founders Ministries in trying to help churches become more and more biblically alert, biblically aligned, and to see the gospel of Jesus Christ central, to see robust Christianity as the norm among God's people is foundational to this. If we had more Christians thinking biblically, thinking robustly about every area of life under the Lordship of Christ, then these matters of conscience, these questions of religious exemption would be mm -hmm. far clearer than they are. And yeah. so brothers and sisters, we just want to exhort you uh, to go back to the Word of God. My fellow pastors, man, I want to encourage you as well to teach your people to think critically from the Scriptures. Take the whole Word of God and help your people to think from it to the life that God has given us, to the world in which He's placed us, because uh, this is all preface. We're, it's not going to get any easier yeah. uh, in what yeah. we're seeing right now. And if we're not equipping our people to think carefully now, then a year from now, five years from now, we're going to find our work even more difficult. David, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, if you don't mind, we would ask you to hang around for another five or 10 minutes or so. We have this uh, place on our website called The Armory, where we put in extra content to talk about specific things we want to drill down on. I'm particularly interested in this whole worldview, uh, the lack of a biblical worldview that's going on throughout our churches. I mean, as a pastor, that alarms me, and I want to I be uh, helped to think more carefully about that. Can you stay around for a few minutes for that? I'll be happy to. Okay. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to the Sword in the Trial today. We're glad to have you with us. If you want any more information about the Sword in the Trial or about Founders Ministries, just go to founders.org. It'll be our joy to provide you as many resources as we can.